This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody. It is the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show again. And I'm so happy that we're together for the next few minutes. Thanks for spending your time. I shouldn't say spending. Thank you for investing your time with me because I certainly invest the time that I spend with you. Uh, I prepare diligently for, for this podcast to make absolutely certain to the maximum extent of my ability that the time you invest is in fact well invested and that I do deliver an ROI, I return a return on your investment that makes sense. And one of the questions that uh, people have asked me quite frequently lately is uh, how do you overcome a sense of, of ennui, a, a sense of almost what's the point of anything? After all, there is such chaos, there's such a mess with everything going on. Uh, and why, why, what can I do? I mean, I'm overwhelmed. Wherever I turn, there's a sense of doom, whether it's the economy or whether it's the state of uh, national security or, or whether it's the state of civility within the United States. Uh, I just, I feel, I feel hopeless. I feel there's almost no point in carrying on. Look, I understand that exactly, and uh, I did want to address that. So uh, just so that we all are clear that there's no rose-colored glasses here, uh, there is no uh, self-delusion going on, uh, we all understand that it isn't good. Uh, we all understand the, the national debt at the moment is over $18 trillion dollars. $18 trillion? Oh, $18 trillion. And it's increasing at, well, over a half a billion dollars, half a trillion dollars a year. It, it's increasing. And, um, and, and nobody's upset. Nobody's bothered by that. It's increasing by half a billion a year. Well, listen to politicians. And they'll say, well, this is the new financial care and concern because we were increasing the national debt at $1 trillion a year, and now it's only at $500 billion or half a trillion a year. Oh, okay, fine. But wait a second. Does everybody understand what we're talking about? A million dollars is a big number, right? But um, what's, what is a billion with a B. What is a billion dollars? Well, let's think in, in terms of seconds, I think. And, uh, you know, people often say that uh, in your third decade, your first decade is from when you're born till you're 10. Your second is till you're 20. Your third decade is from 20 to 30. And, you know, you, you sort of got that punctuated by your 21st birthday. That's a big one. 21 is big. But in 
the next decade, your third decade, from 30 to 40, uh, people often say, well, you know, what's, what's there, right? There's, not, uh, there's, there's no particular milestone. All of a sudden, you know, you're 30, and then the next time you look, you're 40. So, but there's nothing that punctuates it in between. But that's actually wrong. There is something that punctuates it in between, which might be useful. And so think for a moment, um, how long is a million seconds, right? Um, so uh, how long, how long, let's think of it this way, how long is a thousand seconds, right? So you, you can figure that out pretty easily, right? Because 60 seconds to the minute, and so a thousand divided by 60 is like a hundred divided by six, and 100 divided by 6 is going to be a little less than 20 because 5 into 100 is 20. And so 6 into 100 will be a little less. So say about 17. And so sure enough, 1,000 seconds is about 17 minutes. Now, how's about a million seconds? Well, that would be 1,000 times 1,000 seconds. Now, we've already established that 1,000 seconds is about 17 minutes. So a um, a million seconds would be a thousand times seventeen or seventeen thousand minutes, and uh, that would be about twelve days. So twelve days goes by, and it's a million seconds. So think back a week and a half ago, and uh, just under two weeks ago, a million seconds have gone by. Okay, how's about a billion seconds? Well. That's an easy figure to figure out because that's a thousand million. Turns out that that is just under 32 years. Just under 32 years, about um, 31 years and uh, what about uh, eight months or eight or nine months, something like that. So there is a good uh, pausing point, right? If, uh, if you're in your third decade and, or you've just had your 30th birthday, uh, when you hit 31 and three quarters, or just about, you will have lived for one billion seconds. Okay, how about a trillion seconds? Well, a trillion seconds is just under 32,000 years. Human history doesn't go back that long. I mean, 32,000 years, that's what a trillion seconds is. And we add half a trillion dollars to the national debt every year, and nobody's worried. Do you hear that one more time? A billion seconds is 31 years, just under 32 years. A trillion seconds is just under 32,000 years. That's how big the number of trillion is. And our debt, how much we're owing, is, 30, is, is just under 20 trillion. It's 18 trillion dollars. And we're adding to the debt at half a trillion a year. The reason this is so problematic, it's like if you have massive credit card debt. What happens is as hard as you work, all your money is going to pay interest. So you just keep falling farther and farther behind. And so if you are... Let me put it this way. If you're not worried by the national debt, then your problem is not economics, but it's 
like reality. It's psychiatric. Are, are you not aware? And if you have children or grandchildren and you're not worried about the national debt, what are you thinking? It's a massive problem. It's totally out of control. And if you compare it with the total money-making ability of the country, that ratio of national debt to gross domestic product is, is awful. It's worse than it's ever been even in times of war when typically nations borrow like crazy in order to deal with the emergency of winning a battle, winning a war. And yet, here we are with this kind of figure. Of course, there's reason to be miserable about that. I mean, are you, how proud can you be of a country that is drowning in debt? How proud would you be, you know, if, if, you, if you were a child in a family that just adds to its credit card debts every month with no, absolutely no hope of salvation? Like, you feel awful about that. You just want to escape that. And so, yes, I understand that, um, that, that you, you pause to think about the national debt. It's horrible. Uh, you know, right now, a whole bunch of sailors, about a dozen sailors, are being punished very severely. Uh, sailors on the uh, the nuclear sub, I think it's the Wyoming, but, you know, all our nuclear uh, subs are named after states. So anyways, neither here nor there. What are they? They're being uh, punished because they took cell phone uh, pictures of females showering. Okay, they found a gap in the, uh, in the bulkheads. Okay, honest. All right, look, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying it was the right thing to do, but what were they thinking when they put women on submarines, for heaven's sake? What were they thinking? And I'm not saying, well, you know, you should just, ladies, if you hang out with guys, and you should expect to have your privacy violated. I'm not saying it's excusable. I'm not saying it's wonderful. But is it that important to put women on submarines so that 12 men's careers and lives are now ruined because they're testosterone-driven? Like four months underwater on a nuclear sub, and, and there's like three women or four women and a hundred and something men. This makes sense. So you think to yourself, this is a country that is putting weird, diseased ideologies ahead of fighting effectiveness. Just cancel the whole nuclear missile program. Just cancel it. I mean, really. And so this is such a great idea that at this time, when the president is incapable of coming up with a solution as to how to fight Islamic fundamentalism, what is his primary military decision of, of, of the, uh, the last few months? Allowing, uh, making the Pentagon accept women in all combat units. And here's another one. Uh, the president basically ends all border regulation. Basically, forget about it. The, the borders of the United States are porous. Okay? And so you're worried about that. You're miserable about that. Totally understandable. Right? Totally understandable. Uh, about 100 million Americans are not in the labor force. That's about a third of the United States population. And so it's all very well when the government tries to bamboozle us by saying that the official unemployment rate, what are they saying now, four, five, six percent, somewhere there. Uh, but that's immaterial. The reality is that 30 percent of the nation is not working. 
that can't be good. And you know, they, well, they're not looking for work. Fine, whatever it is. But the strength of a nation is the aggregate strength of each and every one of us, and it's our active involvement in the economy that builds for a healthy economy, right? The fact that we are working and producing and creating goods and services and paying taxes and paying uh, uh, sales tax and all kinds of things. I'm, I'm not in favor of all these taxes, obviously. I think they're a big mistake, but the fact is that it, it, it's helpful at the moment. It, it, it would help, it could help reduce the national debt if we didn't just keep borrowing. And so a third of our strength is not building, is not doing anything, not, not trying to add anything. My goodness. Um, you know, I've just been traveling a great deal this, this past week. Again, I was in, in Mexico. And so once again, you know, I've had opportunity to watch the TSA. And, uh, and, and I talk to people in the line. You know, does anybody feel gratitude? People feel gratitude to members of the military. People, do you feel gratitude to the TSA? You know, do you feel like saying to the people rifling through your stuff or, or, or running their hands over your body, do you feel like saying, thank you for keeping us safe? No, nobody feels that way. Nobody says anything because nobody believes it. Absolutely nobody believes it. It's, um, it's theater and it's, it's, um, it's basically uh, signing on hundreds of thousands of new government employees doing absolutely nothing at all. Well, how do you feel about the reaction of the government's attorney general, Loretta Lynch? The first thing she can say after the San Bernardino uh, terrorist attack, what was her first, first thing? That she will aggressively prosecute any anti-Muslim speech. Now, is that really what the nation needed to hear at that point? Or how do you all feel about um, the IRS? you feel that that is uh, a, a strong, safe American institution that raises the money that the country needs and it does so without political – no, I don't think people, people feel worried about the IRS. They feel that um, somehow they, they've been employed as a political tool by the government and, uh, and they've got away with it, totally gotten away with it or the Veterans Administration. Do you think everything's fixed up there now? Everything is terrific. Or uh, do you remember a couple of years ago during the uh, Obama administration, the head of um, National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, uh, said that the, the main purpose of uh, NASA, the main purpose of North American, uh, excuse me, National Aeronautics and Space Administration is really to reach out to Muslims. That's what Charles Bolden said a couple of years ago. And so wherever I turn, I mean, I, what I'm saying is I totally understand if you are feeling that things are just no good, the country's in a state, wherever you turn, it's just no good. I totally understand that. I do. But what's to be done about that? Let me tell you, coming right back here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. 
Revealing how the world really works. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Back again on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thanks, everybody. I am here because I believe everybody needs a rabbi, regardless of your faith. And uh, your rabbi is here to reveal how the world really works. And look, uh, one of the ways the world really works, undeniably and, uh, and inevitably, is that when you feel overwhelmed by hopelessness, when you feel overwhelmed by bad news, when you look around you and you, you just see nothing to be optimistic about, it is very difficult to take care of business. It's very difficult to do the things that, that really need to be done in your life. Uh, you almost find it easy to slide into a state, an almost somnambulant state, where you anesthetize yourself from reality and, and you uh, seek refuge in saying things like, what's the point? You know, wh why should I throw myself into this challenge? Why should I work hard? What's the point in it? Essentially, it is an up-to-date refinement of the destructive mantra, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What's, what's the point of it all? And, and so I, uh, I, I laid out for you in, in the previous segment uh, just some of the things that are so awful and uh, depressing and, and, and so far away from where we always thought the United States of America was. And I hope I didn't add to your misery in any way at all. I hope I didn't come up with things you hadn't even thought of. And you listened to me and you said, oh, no, things are ever so much worse than I even thought they were in the first place. No, I, I can't imagine that to be the, the case. I, I know you are, you're well informed. Uh, you are more than aware of everything that, that is going on around you. So I'm not, I'm not concerned about that in, in any way whatsoever. But uh, I am concerned in trying to provide uh, a, a solution to that, to try and provide a way of moving forward. And the way we ought to move forward from being overwhelmed by just all the bad news, frankly, and, uh, and heaven knows, uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even touch on half of it that I'm aware of. Uh, if I allow myself to slide into a deep, dark, black mood uh, about the way things are in the world in general and the way they are in the United States of America. Uh, frankly, I have about double the ones I mentioned. I've got a, another whole lot more that I, I could add, and I'm sure you could as well. But at the same time, uh, in, order, in order to function creatively, in order to function productively, in order to achieve my maximum destiny, in order to achieve basically what I was created for, I have to banish that stuff. I have to get rid of it. And uh, how do I banish it? How do I rid myself of the baleful influence of these destructive things? Well, it depends uh, what I'm doing. But the, the key thing is that I recognize that there are two worlds that I interact with. There is a world in my immediate concentric circle. Think of um, a classical 
bullseye target where there's a small circle in the middle and there's a bigger circle outside of that and there's still a, a, a bigger circle beyond that. I make use of these concentric circles and I envisage a, uh, a small concentric circle around me and that one involves my personal development. That involves me. Uh, it's, it's my spiritual side. It's my connection with God. Um, it's uh, my connection with uh, a sense of intellectual understanding of how the world works. Uh, it's, it's increasing skills. And so I like to make sure that for me personally, um, I'm reading uh, an, a good book on an ongoing basis, and I'm, I'm keeping myself moving. I don't just leave it, you know, sitting on my bedside table for weeks and weeks or on my study table, uh, but that I'm moving along through a book. I'm acquiring new ideas, uh, sometimes even a new skill. Okay, and maybe it's, maybe it's nothing uh, more than, than some new dexterity and performing a magic trick to hopefully entertain my children, uh, whatever it is. But I, I, I'm making sure that that inner circle that is just me is, is moving forward. And, and then I have a, another circle. The next concentric circle just outside of that is uh, my family. And uh, the one just beyond that is my friends and my faith community. And for me personally, that concentric circle covers faith uh, community and friendship community. The one just inside of that is family. And then outside of that, well, that one would be uh, my town, right? How's my town doing? And the one outside that, my state. And the one outside that, my country. And the one outside that, uh, the state of uh, the West, Western civilization of, of which I'm a part. And by that point, we're, we're sort of pretty far out <laughs> in concentric circles on my target, if you, if you can visualize what I'm talking about. And, um, and the idea is that um, I never stop working on the innermost ones. In other words, um, I focus, first of all, each and every day on what has to be done on those innermost targets. All right, and, and one of those targets, obviously, is, is my business affairs. One of those concentric circles is, you know, how's, how's my business doing? You know, somewhere between my family and, and my friends and my town, there's a concentric circle there for business. And am I taking care of business? Now, when all of those inner ones are done, I keep moving outwards. You know, I, I look out and I keep an eye on you know, how's my state doing? Well, pretty hideously, to tell you the truth. Uh, awful. Um, bad regulations, bad tax policy. Uh, awful. How, how's my country doing? Well, we re we've already discussed that. And that's not, that's not looking so good. But here's the thing. If I work inwards then I become uh, overwhelmed. The state of the world, it's pretty bad. Do you know that of the $20 trillion that my country owes, about a third of that, maybe a bit more, is owed to China? 
I think that's bad news. And the, the same country that owned, that owned so much of our debt is a country that is militarily on the march and becoming increasingly aggressive. I mean, I start thinking of those things, and it's very difficult to then think about uh, a child's birthday or a business matter that has to be taken care of, or for that matter, an important book that I need to finish. Because you start thinking to yourself, how important can a book possibly be while communist China is building new islands to militarize the, the ocean? <laughs> and my friends, you can't function that way. But if I do it the other way, if I make certain every single day that I'm taking care of the innermost circle, that already gives me a little bit of, 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 of energy, a little bit of fuel to propel me into taking care of the next circle. Okay, how's, how's the family doing? Uh, does anybody need my help? Now, uh, let's take care of business. There's some business things that have got to be taken care of. It's only with the excess time after that and the excess energy after that that I think about, is there anything I can do to improve conditions in my city, in my town, in my state? Um, what can I do in the, in the country? Is there anything I can do to uh, make it a little more likely that, uh, that a candidate will run who, uh, who understands what's going on, a candidate who could win and who could change things? Uh, but I don't get involved in that until each day I've taken care of the priorities, the important things first. Um, I'm sure you've heard this in a number of different ways. In, in, in my mind, I think of it as the target concentric circles. But uh, one of the, the popular ways of describing this is the, the story of the jar into which you've got to get a certain amount of sand and a certain number of pebbles and a certain number of bigger stones. And uh, the big stones correspond to the big things you've got to take care of in life, the important things. Uh, the small pebbles are the next most important things. The sand, all the millions of other trivial little things that are part of life. And what people discover very quickly as you play this game is that if you pour in all the sand first uh, and then the pebbles, there's no space for the stones. But if you do the big stones first, the important things in your life, and then you drop in the pebbles and they sort of rattle their way down and find space between the stones, and then you put in or pour in all the sand and it goes between... You get the idea, right? You do the, the big stones first, then there's room for the pebbles, there's room for the sand. But the other way around, um, very, very uh, perilous because the likelihood is that you do not actually have room to get everything else done. So whichever way you look at it as uh, stones, pebbles, and sand into the glass jar or the concentric circles, but starting off with the important things. And uh, one of the areas in which the, uh, the failure of dealing with the important things very often finds expression, uh, particularly with uh, young guys, guys in their, in their 20s, sometimes 30s, is that they don't get around to starting a family. They don't get around to, to marriage and family. What do I mean? What am I talking about as well? Let me, uh, let me tell you this, and I can assure you uh, of this fact with, uh, with absolutely no uncertainty at all. After a great deal of uh, couple counseling, marital counseling, premarital counseling, uh, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have, have had uh, a young woman 
weeping as she speaks to us. And she speaks about uh, how long she's been dating this guy. And she's getting frustrated. She's getting bothered because she's been dating for two and a half years. And he doesn't seem to want to mention he seems no closer to proposing marriage than they were two years ago or one year ago. And on top of that, whenever she mentions marriage, he gets irritable and uh, and she she does she just doesn't know should she break up with him? But then she's left with she, oh it's wait it's horrible she's wasted two and a half years and but maybe he'll come around maybe he also will soon start thinking of settling down on earth. Okay, so here's what I want to tell you. Uh, we've had a lot of young women in that situation, and it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And frankly, the more time they've invested into it, the more horrible it is for me to hear because time is the one irreplaceable commodity. And, uh, and, and I mean, you know, the, the, the record, by the way, is uh, a young woman who Susan and I are, are very friendly with who dated somebody for seven years. And she didn't know me at the time, but I certainly would have stopped it. And for the life of me, I don't know what her father was thinking. I, does a father have no responsibilities towards his daughter at all? She's dating somebody for year after year after year. And as her father, you don't say, hey, this is no good. This has to stop. Got to stop. But I will tell you this, that in all my work in this area, I don't think even once. I, I, I'm not going to say never because who, I, I, I'm telling you I don't remember a single instance where a guy came to me all miserable and upset saying, oh, Rabbi, we've been dating for three years, and every time I try and bring up marriage, she gets irritable, and she keeps saying things like, why do you have to spoil a good relationship? And, I mean, Rabbi, every now and then we're, we're out in a mall, and I, I stop and look in the windows of a store that sells plates and houseware and all sorts of beautiful things I'd love to have in my house. And she gets impatient. She says, come on, let's, let's move on. The, the Apple stores is another half a mile down this mall. Let's go and see the Apple store. No, my friends, that never happens. Uh, overwhelmingly, it's guys who don't see the need to move forwards. It's girls whose internal clock is saying, I desperately want to build a home. I desperately want to have a husband and I want to have children. Uh, with guys, it doesn't work that way. So what do I say to guys in that situation? Let me tell you that's coming right back. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Not only do we have evidence here of impeachable acts, and it would require Republicans to try and even start to make that happen. And Guru Jay say, you see the Republican Party? See them? Take a good look. Drink it in, because you're never going to see them again. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Hello, everybody. Yes, we're back. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And uh, this is the third segment of today's show. 
And uh, I'm talking now specifically about uh, uh, the tendency of guys to date um, for a long time and uh, to actually never move forward, to date serially so that uh, they um, go out with a girl for a lengthy period of time and eventually uh, they break up and repeat the cycle again, they repeat the cycle again and again, but actually not making very much progress. Uh, what's going on there? And before I launch into the segment, I think I, I will just say that um, if you know anybody in this situation, if you know a guy who um, should already for, for the benefit of his life, for the benefit of his future, for the benefit of his stability, even for the benefit of his business, who needs to make a commitment to a woman, marry her, and uh, raise a family, then you want to make sure that he hears uh, this uh, particular episode, this particular edition of the, uh, of the podcast. And if you know a woman who's in this situation, who uh, has been seeing a man for, frankly, too long, then this would be a, uh, a useful um, episode for, for her to hear as well. So while, while you're hearing me now, uh, just think mentally in your mind or maybe grab a piece of paper. You remember I always tell you to keep those 3 by 5 index cards in a rubber band? Well, yank one of those out and uh, put, down, put down the names of, of men or women that, that you think uh, are either in this or, or potentially in the situation of uh, a relationship that is not moving forwards to, to marriage. And um, make sure to shoot them an email and send them the link to the podcast uh, when we're done so that uh, they can benefit. Because I think this is something, not that I think, I know from having uh, spent so many uh, occasions, so many hours with um, young men and young women in this kind of situation and help them move beyond it. So I, I do know that it's effective and, and that it's something that uh, can benefit their lives. So uh, let's take, first of all, step, uh, step number one. Well, the first thing is to try and understand uh, what's going on in the case of a man. Why is it that it's so clear to his girlfriend that they're made for each other. It's so clear that they should be moving ahead together, but he's not, and he doesn't see that. What's going on? Well, uh, first of all, with, with men, there is a, uh, a desperate drive for variety. Okay, what do I mean by that? Um, I'm going to tell you something which is... Um, uh, it, it's unpleasant. It's, uh, it, it's, it verges on the distasteful. And I'm, I'm doing it not to be provocative and certainly not to shock you or anything, but I'm, I'm doing it because I want you to understand beyond a shadow of a doubt exactly what it is we're talking about. And, and here's what I want to say. We understand that men are very visually driven. We understand that uh, pornography is very appealing to, to the male being. Right? And uh, 
And yes, obviously, its, it's easy availability is obviously uh, problematic, and, and, but that's not the, the topic. What, I, what, what is the topic is the following. Pornography, right? Listen to the word. Uh, it's graphic, meaning depictions of porn. What is porn? Well, think of the word fawn, okay? And if you fornicate, that is intercourse, that's copulation, okay? And um, in Hebrew, the origin of all human communication, the letter for the sound of P, like Papa, is the exact same letter as the letter F, right? The sound, the sound for F, like phone book. So F and P are the same letter. And this is why it is that we have words like fire, but a person who sets fires is a pyrotechnic, a pyromaniac, I'm sorry, a pyromaniac. Um, and uh, uh, pyrotechnics are fireworks. So pyre, or a funeral, right, when they, when they uh, used to, in, in, in certain cultures, I'm not saying civilizations, because that was no civilization, but in some cultures, they used to burn a widow of a man on his funeral fire, well, yes, except they called it pyre, and that's because P and F originally are the same letter as they are in Hebrew. Um, the, uh, the word for the symbol of the fish in the zodiac, Pisces, right? But change the P to an F, and you've got the F-I-S, like the fish sound, fish or pish, <laughs> same, same thing. And so it's perfectly obvious that um, you can see that porn or fawn is exactly the same thing. So... Pornography is graphic depictions of pornication. Oh, that, that's pretty straightforward. And we also know that uh, overwhelmingly the, uh, the purchasing demographic, the people who make uh, the, the sale of pornography so profitable on the Internet is overwhelmingly men, not women. None of this is, is big news. It's, it's uh, distasteful to even talk about, but there it is. It's, it, it is a reality. Here is my question. Where do they get the pornography from? Well, there are, uh, there are companies that make it. And they, uh, they're even like today big production companies. They're almost, it's almost become a legitimate um, cinematic production genre. Right? From, and so my basic question is this. How many pornographic movies are they going to make this month? I don't know the answer exactly, but I'm, I'm, I'm estimating, you know, given the number of places, and let's even not go around the world, you know, just, just in the United States, how many pornographic production companies are there? You know, who knows? I mean, with, I don't know, if I, 100 around the country maybe, you know, who, of any size, and how busy are they? Well, they're probably turning out, I mean, this is not high production value stuff, right? They don't need to spend... Uh, months and months writing the script. Uh, you, you, I mean, they don't do any of that stuff. So uh, you've got to think that, that each one probably turns out, I don't know, five or ten uh, movies a month. And if there's a hundred of them, so gosh, are there somewhere between, shall we say, 300 and 1,000 uh, pornographic productions coming out every month? Isn't that crazy? After all, all they should do is just make one. Make one good one, 
mail it out or circulate it to every single male who would like a copy, and that's it. And then whenever the, the male feels uh, a desire to watch some pornography, you just pull it out and watch it. But it doesn't work, does it? And so uh, men who consume uh, this, uh, pornography on a regular basis don't just have one pornographic movie uh, in, their, uh, in their closets. They have DVDs, like shelves of it. Why? I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, are there, are there dozens and dozens of different ways of copulation? Of course not. I mean, how much variety is there when you get right down to it? And again, without sort of pushing the tastelessness beyond all boundaries of decency, my point is that the human male has a desperate desire for variety and difference. Okay? Uh, there's a spiritual reason for that, and there is also a physical reason for that. The physical reason is the one that biologists will give, which is that uh, nature has made sure that man will spread his seed far and wide, and... Uh, and so if he didn't have a desire for variety, then he would just pick one woman and stay with her, just like I'm suggesting. Uh, you know, pick yourself one pornographic movie and hang on to it. That's it. All you need. Done. Finished. No. Uh, the, the, those who are devotees of the genre uh, will have, who knows, dozens, dozens of DVDs each one different in some tiny, indistinguishable manner. It doesn't matter. It's different people. It's different. There's variety. And, uh, and, um, and, and physically, that, that is what the biologist will, will tell you. It's unarguable. It's just how we are. Um, spiritually, it, it is how God created man. There's, there's no question about it. God did create us that way. And, uh, and it, it it, it is a, a very straightforward reality. Uh, you want to know why God uh, created us that way? Well, there are a number of reasons for it, and I don't want to spend too much time in, in, in a limited program on, on the, uh, if you like, the theological side of it, but uh, a part of it is for the process of overcoming our nature. In other words, uh, when the right thing is for a wife to be profoundly grateful for her husband's being a good, loyal husband. Now, a lot of women will say, what are you talking about? You don't deserve a medal for doing what you're supposed to do. Well, uh, we kind of do give medals to, to men in the military who, I mean, men in the military are supposed to be honorable, they're supposed to do things, they're supposed, but we still give them medals for doing things that don't come natural. You know, risking your life to, to save other men in your company. Uh, that or other people these days, we should say. But um, we, we do give medals for that. And, uh, and I think it is important for wives in general to understand the extraordinary extent to which their husbands are drawn to other women. And yet your husband stays loyal and faithful to you. And yes, he, he is as, uh, as an upright, good man. Of course, that's what he's expected to do. That's what is asked of us, absolutely. But at the same time, recognize how hard it is. Uh, it's, you know, when, when your husband notices a uh, striking-looking woman walking by, 
That, that's, that's not a terrible thing. That's not, that's not something that you should be made to feel embarrassed by. You shouldn't be angry at that. You should be thrilled and delighted that he is your husband and that in spite of the fact that he recognizes beauty and even sexiness when he sees it, at the same time, it's you he's committed to. How special does that make you in the eyes of this man and in the eyes of, of all of creation? How extraordinary is that? It's, it's a wonderful thing. But yes, all of these things are part of the reason that God created men that way. And there are a whole lot more that I'm not going to go into now. But the, the, the point is that a going back now to a single man who's been dating a woman, one of the things that we've got to understand is that there is a powerful, powerful urge in him that says, how can I possibly make a commitment to this woman? Because in so doing, I am ruling out every possibility of the next wonderful woman who could come around the corner. And that, in a sense, is the poison that is injected into the relationship. Now, when does that strike? Well, that's what I have to explain coming up. You see, there is a certain point at which he is immune to anybody else. There is a certain point at which he only has eyes for the girl he's with. There's a, point, a certain point at, uh, at which he's reached, and, um, and then after that, there is a part of him that is saying, how can I possibly, I mean, she's lovely and I like her, and, but is she really the most beautiful, irresistible, sexy, attractive woman I've ever seen? No. Is she the most beautiful, attractive, sexy woman I'm ever likely to see? Well, I don't know. Who knows what could come around the corner in next day, next week, next month, or even next year? How can I rule all that out of my life? When does that all kick in? Let me explain that just as soon as we come back. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Buck Sexton. You deserve better than people who just ignore the truth about a situation like what happened in San Bernardino and, and are unwilling to really face the true threat and would just rather make it about how the real problem is gun violence. If Tashfin and Syed had been a little better with their bomb-making skills, they might have killed a bunch of first responders. They could have killed a lot more people. What's the what's the process then? For You just ignore those casualties and it's all about the guns? Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. As always, I welcome you back to the fourth segment of this podcast. Uh, this is the 23rd episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. So uh, for those of you who've been along for the entire ride, well, thank you. And uh, those of you who haven't, well, either you like it enough to go and fill in the missing gaps with uh, episodes 1 through 22, uh, or you don't. But either way, I do my best to deliver value and to make certain that your investment of time is well repaid. We're talking about... Uh, guys who uh, who uh, yield to their uh, masculine nature and avoid doing uh, what a fulfilled and well-lived life requires you to do, which is to make a commitment to, to one woman and to create a monogamous relationship 
that results in a family uh, that will fill your life with joy and purpose and meaning. And uh, the, the, the topic I covered in the last segment was that uh, one of the great obstacles to that is that it violates a, uh, an imperative that is built into our body for biological as well as for spiritual reasons that, uh, that forces men or at least leads men to be extremely tempted by great variety and, uh, and diversity that uh, no matter how wonderful and amazing and how spectacular um, a man's wife is on on some level it's not it it, it it isn't the ultimate dream which seems incredible does it not i'm sure that every man has looked at another man and he's looked at another man's wife and the uh, the bible specifically and and with great emphasis puts other men's wives out of reach. Uh, but, you know, men will look at another man's wife and, and think to themselves, how could a man like this ever stray? You know, how, oh, a man, he's married to such an amazing woman. You know, but the fact is that um, the lack of variety is, is difficult for men to, uh, to, to deal with. Good men do. Good men do deal with it. But it is a reality. It is something that pulls. And it pulls every bit as urgently as baby hunger pulls at young women. And, and young women appreciate that and understand that. The desperate desire, a deep inner yearning felt by the majority of, of young women when they hit a certain age to have a baby uh, to have somebody like that to love, to create a home, and to just want to make a home, that deep and desperate yearning is matched on the male side by a deep and desperate yearning for, uh, for variety. And obviously the, uh, uh, the, the wise wife recognizes that and, and takes that very much into account in, uh, in the kind of environment, the kind of relationship she has with her husband. But um, I ask, as we concluded the last segment, when exactly does this kick in? And the answer is that um, there is a point at which the relationship, there is a point during a dating relationship where things are as good as they're going to get. Uh, and again, uh, if any of you guys listening have, have been through this at some stage in your life or are going through it now, wh what I mean by that is that uh, uh, you are dating uh, a girl and you've been through this, this cycle again where you date somebody and, and weeks turn into months, occasionally months turn into years, and then eventually you break up and start all over again with someone else. and. And obviously, when you start up with a, you know, you think to yourself, oh, man, this, this is different from all previous relationships. This is incredible. This has real potential. And, of course, exactly the same thing happens as has happened every single time in the past. And so you'd, you'd probably recognize this, and you'd probably recognize when I tell you that uh, there is a certain point in the relationship where you just feel great. 
and it's everything is terrific. And you know, it's, you you don't want to spoil it by getting engaged or making a proposal or anything. No, 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 no. But everything is terrific. And then if you look back, you can always put your finger on when was it that things started deteriorating. Okay, what's going on here? Uh, a human relationship is organic. Uh, that is to say, it's spiritual. It's not. It's not just. Uh, an object. It's not. It's not like a pen knife. A uh, a, a relationship between a man and a woman is organic. It's dynamic. It's moving, and uh, it's exactly like a rose. You know, you you pluck a rose from the garden, or, or better yet, uh, you take a look at a rose in a in a beautiful garden, and you the the, the flower is just sheer perfection, uh, and you smell it, and the the, the scent is fragrant. And the colors are vivid, and you, you can't take your eyes off this rose. And, uh, and you think to yourself, this is incredible. You know, can it get any better? And you come back the next day, and you look at the rose, and the colors, if, if possible, are even more vivid. And, the, uh, and now all the, the, the petals have opened, and, uh, it, and the fragrance, I mean, it hit you when you were still a yard away down the path. It's amazing. And you come back and you say, well, the next day is going to be even better. You come back the next day, and uh, it's kind of exactly the same. It hasn't – the previous few days, each day was just getting more and more spectacular. But now the rose is just the way it was yesterday. And you come back uh, uh, the following day, and now, well, you know what? You're seeing a slight wilting on the edges of the, the petals and the fragrance, not quite as strong as it was. And uh, the same thing a day, a day later, and yet it's deteriorated further, and you are able to finally recognize, you know what, three days ago, that was its peak. And sure enough, you know, keep watching the rose for a while, and it'll, it'll eventually fade away. So what happens in human relationships? What happens is that you nudge it onto the next plateau, and it becomes a new relationship, and then it's got all the freshness and vitality and excitement all over again. But if you don't do that, you, you overstay the expiration date. What happens is that uh, a man meets a woman, and the excitement is just like the rose. Each, I mean, you, you discover things about her, and, uh, and she's more beautiful. And each and every day that goes by, you are more in love, and it's more wonderful, and it's more exciting. And then at a certain point, and it depends. I, I can't tell you if it's three weeks or three months or, or nine months or uh, 15 months, whatever it is, there's a certain point at which your level of excitement and joy with her is exactly the same as it was the day before. And the next day after that, it's a little less. And it's imperceptible at first. But uh, as, as more and more time goes by, uh, you start discovering more and more that, that you don't particularly care for, and more and more that you begin to think uh, constitutes uh, a, uh, a deal-breaker. And then finally, you do break up with her, and you say, man, good thing I didn't jump in too early here. Good thing. Good thing I waited, because otherwise I'd be engaged now and maybe married to somebody who's the wrong person for me. Just look about how I feel about her now. And you completely miss the point that uh, you missed an opportunity, because if you were engaged to her now, you wouldn't be feeling what you're now feeling you follow is very important and uh, if if you've if you're a guy who's been through this you're going to have cognitive dissonance at first you're going to resist uh, what I'm saying you're going to want to reject it quite angrily I think some of you 
um, because it's so disturbing, so very bothersome to hear what I'm about to say and what I have been saying. And that is that, uh, yes, uh, what happens is that that relationship between you and her has a, a point at which things could hardly get any better. And in fact, they can't. And then from then, they start deteriorating. But that's only because that's that stagnant, stultifying relationship. However, if things were a little different, if things were a little bit different, and uh, in fact, what happened was that you would have got engaged, why all of a sudden, you'd be in a totally new experience again, and it would be beautiful and exciting. And just the, the new joy and the new passion and the new uh, relationships with, uh, with her family, between your family and her family and your friends and her friends. And, and all of a sudden, the, you are filled not only with great love for her, but you're filled with deep and profound gratitude to her for, for even agreeing to become your fiancé. Now, what happens if this engagement stretches into six months? Nine months, a year, a year and a half, two years, engaged for two years, two and a half years. The likelihood, as time goes by, the likelihood of you breaking up is very high. And then you say, wow, good thing we didn't get married quickly. Good thing. It gave me a chance to see all these bad aspects of her that I could never live with. Good thing we didn't get married because we're breaking up this engagement right now. Next level. Okay, you didn't do what I just said. You had a normal engagement. You got married. And wow, what a wonderful, it, you can hardly believe what it's like being married. It's just so different in, in, so every, in every possible way. And then time goes by. And, and at a certain point, it, invariably it's the woman, usually not the man. There are exceptions, and here I actually have seen some exceptions. But overwhelmingly, it's the woman who wants to start a family. And the guy says, we, you know, we've got to wait until my career is more established. We've got to wait till I feel confident in my new job. And uh, time goes by. Time goes by. Time goes by. And eventually, well, very often the relationship deteriorates. Very often they separate. And the guy says, good thing why we didn't have kids. Be ashamed to have brought children into the world to, to only have divorced parents. But he doesn't realize that the arrival of children boosts the relationship onto its new level exactly the same way that getting married boosted an engagement that was eventually going to start wilting. Exactly the same way that getting engaged boosted a dating relationship onto a new level, a dating relationship that on its own was invariably, eventually going to become wilted and was going to start deteriorating. We've constantly got to be able to do that. And the great thing, of course, about children is that they always keep a relationship fresh because your children are never the same as they were before. So uh, your, your children this year, your family this year, is quite different from the way it was last year. They're all a year older. They're a year more mature. Some of the uh, difficulties you faced last year are no longer there this year. You're facing new challenges. And, and so that's how it goes. Uh, a dating couple kicks their relationship into gear by getting engaged. An engaged couple reaches a point at which they have to get married or the relationship starts going downhill. 
and a married couple reaches a point, they've got to have children or the relationship starts to deteriorate. By the way, a couple that cannot have children operates on a, a different dynamic. I'm not going to cover that uh, right now in this podcast, but, uh, but I just want to mention that, that what I've been discussing is inevitabilities are, are not if they're external circumstances. But uh, as far as the, um, uh, the, the circumstances as they are, they are precisely as I described. Uh, the um, we, we've been so busy on this topic, I, I haven't wanted to distract you with mentioning my website, and we still are busy on the topic, and I don't want to distract you, but I do want you to be able to be a part of my extended family. I want to be able to mail you my free weekly email, Thought Tools, a very short, powerful spiritual strategy that I mail out every week. Uh, I want to, to uh, expose you to some of the resources and products available uh, on my website. So at any rate, meander around the website, and it's also a good place to send me a message. If you go to my website, you'll find a Contact Us tab. Use it, and I will receive your email. I will read it, and that would be at rabbidaniellappin.com. rabbidaniellappin.com. That would be my website, and um, when we come back onwards with further understandings of uh, the obstacles to young men, or any men actually, moving forward and converting a dating situation into a lifelong commitment called marriage. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Because it ain't about money and fame and power. It's about that little person inside of you that does not feel good enough. It's the same thing that drives these terrorists in Paris. It's the same thing that drives the Mizzou protesters and President Obama and progressives and everywhere. Is not having confidence and faith. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Revealing how the world really works. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. And so here we are in uh, segment number five of this, the 23rd episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, uh, where we're talking about uh, how important it is to focus on the things that really matter in your innermost concentric circles of your life, even though those things on the outermost concentric circles of your life, international politics, national politics, the state of the economy, the state of politics in your state, uh, no matter how disturbing and upsetting these things are, uh, it is terribly important to still make sure that those things do not deflect you from taking care of the innermost circles in your life. And the one I'm talking about right now is making sure you're moving forwards into family. And again, I understand that uh, this probably doesn't apply directly to every single person listening uh, because many of you listening are women. And generally speaking, generally, it's men who dawdle on the way to the altar, not women. Uh, many of you are married. Many of you are not looking to get married, whatever it is. Uh, and so it is true that this uh, portion 
is most applicable, most useful to single men and women looking to become hitched, looking to become married. But uh, what I'm talking about, nonetheless, is just as true on the business front. There are many people who postpone taking care of things they have to do for business by saying to themselves, how can I concentrate on my next sales call when China is launching a new aircraft carrier and two new, two new submarines? Okay. <laughs> or uh, or I've, I've often heard uh, couples, young couples, saying, I, I can't even think of bringing a child into the world um, in the current state of... You know, sometimes people have been indoctrinated by uh, the belief that the environment is in terrible shape and the ice caps are receding and polar bears are dying and we are all likely to be asphyxiated by a growing mantle of carbon dioxide shutting off. All right, so when you believe these big threats, it becomes very easy to, uh, to ignore the urgent pressing things we're supposed to be doing. And, um, and it, I, I've devoted other shows, I will devote shows, to the things we need to be doing on a business front, uh, things we should be doing on a personal development front, things we should be doing even on a faith front. But today, uh, what I'm talking about is how easy it is for single men to become uh, deluded, self-persuaded, self-indoctrinated that uh, it's not in their interests to move a relationship into escrow. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's all too easy, all too easy for this to happen. One of the, uh, the enemies of progress here um, is when the man, he might tell me this, he might tell his friends this, but most importantly, it's what he tells himself. And he says, you know, I'm, I, it just doesn't feel like the right time to go ahead. I just don't feel that connected with her. I just, I just don't feel that I'm 100% sure she's the right one. Now, need I remind you that um, X number of weeks, months, or maybe even years back, you didn't feel this way, right? I mean, you were obsessive about her. In fact, any day not spent in her company was a day wasted. And that's, that is how you felt about her at one point, but now you don't feel that way at all. And so let's explore just a little bit the role that feelings play in this process. First of all, let me, let me rule out circumstances where she just plainly is the wrong person for you. And here's a way to know this. I hope you're somebody who has a good relationship with your parents. I hope that uh, you have trustworthy friends who don't just agree with everything you say, but uh, are true enough friends that will sometimes tell you when they think you're wrong. And if you're fortunate enough to have parents, siblings, family members, sometimes in-laws are terrific for this as well, uh, or friends who tell you the truth, and, uh, and since you met this girl, your, your family, your friends, your whole support network have been less than enthusiastic about her, fine. Then I think that's a different story. And, uh, and, and, um, and, and indeed, perhaps 
any further time spent in this relationship is, is a bad idea. It's wasted time. But if as time has gone by, trusted people in your life have fallen in love with her and love and like her and enjoy her and keep telling you how lucky you are. And, and during all of this time, of course, uh, you are afflicted by the male desire for variety and difference and you worry about locking yourself up to only one woman and you're worried about uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the idea that you're just not ready yet and you, you feel you have doubts. And on top of that, there's the, the, the sense of it's not feeling to be exactly the right time yet. So let me tell you a little bit about um, how the good Lord created us. Uh, he created us with three uh, main drives, right? And uh, when I say three main drives, I'm not just talking about appetites, right? Because when it comes to appetite, there are three main appetites with which he created us as well. There's an appetite for food, there's an appetite for money, and there's an appetite for sex, Right? That's how God created us. And uh, in order to be able to deal with appetites, because yielding to appetites always can be incredibly destructive. As a matter of fact, even at its most basic, you can very often tell from a person's face if he's a person who has just yielded to appetites all his life. A person who has no self-restraint. And so you can get a sense from somebody's face uh, if you've trained yourself to be sensitive to appearances and, uh, and, and faces. Uh, you can sometimes tell, but it's, it's certainly not a good thing to yield and indulge to every desire. At the very least, on a food level, uh, you become, um, shall we say, uh, a little oversized. I don't want to be rude and say anything like pudgy or flabby or fat or obese, but just a little, a little large-sized, and that's, the, that's the, 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 the least that can happen with an overindulgence of the appetite of food, an overindulgence of the appetite of sex, uh, also has destructive aspects in, in a number of different ways, and overindulgent with the appetite of money, also, obviously, uh, you know, the love of money is, uh, is generally speaking, considered to be problematic. Uh, an overindulgence in an appetite for money would reflect, obviously, an unhealthy love and obsession for it. So here's an interesting point from ancient Jewish wisdom. When it comes to food, the less you get, the more you want, the more you want, the less you need. What am I saying? Well, uh, when you're full, you don't feel hungry. When you're empty, you feel hungry. So the less you have, the less you get, the more you want. In other words, the less food you get, the more you want it. The more you get, the less you want it. Okay? Now, here's a funny thing with sex. It works a little bit differently. And that is, the more you have it, the more you want it. So it's quite different from food. The less you have it, the less you want it. And so uh, a lot of people who have no knowledge and certainly no experience in this area are under the illusion that uh, people who are celibate, people who take celibacy seriously, must live in a whirlwind 
of irrepressible urgent desire and that the more extended your period of celibacy, the more frantic and out of control, the more you're un- incapable of thinking of anything else. Truth is, it's not like that at all. It just isn't. Uh, people sometimes assume that uh, uh, Bible seminaries where chastity and celibacy is the order of the day uh, must be these seething cauldrons of sexual intrigue. It isn't like that because the less surrounded you are by sexual imagery, the less surrounded you are by, uh, by uh, appealing-looking specimens of the opposite gender, uh, the more surrounded you are by the language and culture of concupiscence, it, if you're not surrounded by all that, it's just not there. And uh, even people in marriage will tell you how easy it is to slide into sexless marriages. It's a terrible thing. It's got to be avoided, but it can happen. And it's not true that the more time goes by without physical intimacy, the more desperately the couple yearns to be with one another. It's not true at all. In other words, ancient Jewish wisdom is right on this topic. The less you have, well, the less you want. And the more you have, the more involved you are, the more you want. So with food, the less you get, the more you want it. The more you have it, the less you want it. With sex, exactly the other way. The less you have, the less you want. The more you have, the more you want. And finally, we come to the appetite for money. With money, it is the less you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you want. And so ancient Jewish wisdom often points out that the, uh, that the desire for money has to be deeply understood. It's a human appetite that in certain ways is more compelling than the appetite, the biological appetites for food and the appetite for sex. Because at least with food, there are times you don't want it. The appetite is at rest when you're full. And uh, with sex, there are times when the appetite is low when you're just not, it's just not on your mind in any way whatsoever. Uh, But with money, well, for the way God created humanity, it's always there. That desire is always, it's always there. It it never goes away. Uh, But um, moving on to a slightly more global perspective, what we're motivated by beyond the appetites I've been referring to What we're motivated by are three things, emotion, uh, bodily appetites, of which I've described uh, the the strongest in detail, emotions, and brain. And here's the fascinating thing. Um, In ancient Jewish wisdom, those three are represented sequentially by the liver, the heart, and the brain. And so in ancient Jewish wisdom, whenever the heart, the, the liver is being discussed, it's not talking about the organ that gets damaged if you drink too much alcohol. No, it's talking about bodily desire, talking about bodily appetite, primarily food and sex. When we find a discussion of heart, we're not speaking about the organ that pumps blood. We're speaking about human emotions. And when we speak about brain, 
we're not talking about the human brain, we're talking about intellectual motivation. In other words, there are times where we do things because we cannot resist the call of our body. There are times we do things because of how we feel and we follow our feelings. And then there are times we do things because our heads tell us to do something. And it very often isn't what our body wants us to do. We're feeling tired and it's calling for physical effort. It's not what our emotions want us to do because we feel like doing something entirely different. But it's nonetheless what our head calls us to do. And uh, when we come back in just a moment, I'm going to tell you about the two alternative sequences in which those three forces exert their influence on our behavior. So that's me, your radio rabbi here, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, back with you in just a moment. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. America WK with your host, Andrew WK. Whatever that mysterious feeling is, whatever that inspiration, that vitality, that life force that seems to descend or come up into you and give you this power, give you this excitement about life, this this undeniable energy. I mean, you feel it when it's, I'm feeling it. When it happens, it is undeniable, and we must respect that feeling. America WK, Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, everyone, hard to believe, but uh, we are about to start the final segment of of today's show. And uh, I know for some of you, uh, it uh, already runs a little long, although you've noticed that I have shortened the episodes from the way they were at the beginning. Um, And then perhaps for for some of you, uh, kind enough to comment, uh, along these lines, uh, they could go longer, but I, I, I'm trying to find an optimum length, and my instinct says that perhaps perhaps these are, are even a little bit on the long side, although uh, I must confess that at the moment I'm not sure I see how I can tackle the complex topics I'm currently undertaking uh, in much less than uh, about the 90 minutes I'm currently giving them. So I, I hope that you've been able to fit these into your podcasting schedule and are able to sort of listen to them at your leisure during the course of the week so that you don't have to struggle to set aside uh, one significant block of time. I'd, I'd love to know that because my goal is to impart useful information to you that you can absorb ideally in downtime that would otherwise uh, perhaps, God forbid, go to waste, but uh, in this way can be used effectively. So uh, there we are, three primary ways in which we make decisions. Uh, We sometimes make decisions because our bodies are asking for something, uh, a massage, a spa, uh, sex, food, drink. Uh, Sometimes we do things, and perhaps more frequently than anything else for most of us, we do things because we feel like them. It's our hearts pulling us. Uh, What sort of things are those? Well, they could be purchases. Uh, Very often, uh, you know, people speak of retail therapy. It's a very, very bad idea. It's a horrible thing. 
but people make decisions with their hearts because they feel like it, and they may not even necessarily uh, enunciate it in quite that fashion. But I can assure you that when you do something, when you make a decision, you act through on that, uh, you did it either because you made an intellectual decision, your head told you that's the right thing to do, or it was your heart, or it was your body. It was your brain, your heart, or your liver, <laughs> if you like, in, in terms of ancient Jewish wisdom. And the sequence is kind of interesting uh, because the initial letters for each of those in Hebrew, um, the, uh, the body, the heart, and the brain, um, spell out in that direction, body, heart, brain, they spell out the Hebrew word which means catastrophe, calamity, or even calumny. Uh, those words related, calam calamity and calumny, uh, related and connected to this very specific Hebrew word, uh, the anagram, if you like, um, explaining what? That those of us who run our lives, or if there's a period in your life, may not be your whole life, but maybe there's a period where you are basing decisions and, do, and taking actions because of primarily in what your body asks, uh, secondarily with what you feel like, with what your heart pulls you, and then only finally, if ever, on the brain front, the uh, direction you're heading is towards calumny, calamity, disaster. Uh, it, is, it is destructive, damaging, and, um, and, and ultimately uh, contrary to your goal of a successful life. On the other hand, if you are uh, somebody who at the moment, or ideally best time, all times, uh, are acting and taking decisions based on thinking things through and deciding intellectually what is the best thing for you to do, even though it's not what you feel like doing, even though it's far from what your body feels. Your body wants to throw itself down on the couch and watch a few hours of mindless television, but uh, that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is what your head feels and what your head calls. Then only secondarily do you consider emotional feelings, you know, what I'm, I'm doing this because I feel like doing it. And then lastly, if ever, do you actually act only because it's the way you, uh, your body tugs you. And, uh, and that really lies at the very heart of the distinction between successful, purposeful living and uh, casual, random, and, and often destructive living. So what is my uh, guidance to you? What is my recommendation? What is my best advice if you happen to be somebody who uh, is uh, delaying marriage, um, you might be involved with a, and I'm going to say young woman now because, as I say, this uh, predicament is far more frequently one in which men find themselves than women. As I told you earlier on at the beginning of the podcast, uh, it's uh, very hard for me to conceive of any time where a woman would come to me and say, you know, all I want to do is, uh, excuse me, where, um, where a man would come to me and say, all I want to do is get married, but, you know, we've been dating, and she, she, every time I talk about marriage, she gets upset. No, that very seldom happens. Uh, hardly ever does a man say, uh, you know, how do I get it to the point of being willing to propose? Well, you know, if you do that, you've lost already. <laughs> the, the truth is that uh, the good Lord 
has created men and women in such a way so as that um, most women want a masterful man. Most women want a man who exhibits confidence. Have you ever heard the expression, nice guys finish last? Right? It doesn't mean that nice guys, you know, it doesn't mean what you think it means. But what it does mean is that um, in, in the dating situation, in the marital states, if you like, uh, people very often translate nice into uh, non-assertive. Well, he's a nice guy, right? And what they mean by that is that, well, you know, he never pushes. He, you know, it even can translate into very limited ambition, which is a death knell for a good woman. Uh, a, a good woman finds a man without ambition uh, to be much the same way that a man finds a girl who is just totally physically repugnant and unsanitary. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a turn-off. It's out of the question. And so, uh, uh, we're, you know, not talking, not talking about, uh, about that level of things at all, but what I am saying is that it's overwhelmingly men. Um, who are uh, diffident and slow in this area. So, you know, what do I say? Well, first of all, let's, let's take a look and see what are the things that are obstructing you. Sometimes it's, it's outer area things. I know this sounds a little bit excessive, but uh, for the sake of completion, I'll include the whole target with all the concentric circles. So uh, the international geopolitical situation is such, I can't even think of marriage or or uh, the state of the country, the economy, I, out of the question, I can't even think of marriage. Okay, those are out-of-circle things, and uh, you would be well advised not to run the risk of ruining your life because of things that are on the outside. To put it, to put it bluntly, uh, no matter how bad things are out there, uh, it's still better to be part of a loving marriage than to be alone. And... Uh, and and so that is an inner circle thing. It's a very important inner circle thing. So no matter what else is going on there, how close? Well, how about even uh, your career, your job? You're not, not going ideal or you don't have it. You're waiting for a job. As long as you are on track, as long as you know what you're doing with your life professionally, uh, even if it's not great yet, even if, I don't know, maybe you're still in an apprenticeship in a machine tool company. I don't know, whatever it is. But uh, at least if you are on track, then there is no reason whatsoever uh, to allow yourself to be distracted from the priority and from the urgency of starting your life. And this is something that is better done earlier rather than later. I'm not talking about very young, but I mean, uh, you know, the fact is that human beings age and uh, and. To, to put yourself in a position where you are older than you need to be when you have children. And I know you're probably not even beginning to think yet about grandchildren, so I'm not even going to go there. But, uh, but the fact is that th there is no advantage in postponing things beyond a certain point. And so uh, as long as your career is, is, is somewhat, no, I'm not going to say even on track, but at least it's on the map. If you're shaking your arms and waving your arms and shaking your head and you, you have absolutely no idea what you want to do, this is not a good time to think of getting married, obviously. But uh, if you are, you know, if you're frustrated, things haven't yet gone the direction they need to go, but you know what you're doing and you're working hard and you have a vision of, of what you're trying to achieve, no reason at all to put off what you know that you need to do. 
maybe you're being distracted by this this dream of uh, of of limitless variety of women out there uh, there again you've got to you've you know you've got to begin to see that that's always going to be true and even after you are happily married to the most wonderful wife in the whole world you're still going to see beautiful women out there and there may even be a, a part of you that mourns the fact that you will never have them that that's possible as well but that's all right that's that's not a reason not to get married you know or maybe maybe you're saying to yourself i just i just don't feel the 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 blinding passion for her what that you felt 6 months ago or 12 months ago sure no that's obvious and are you sure that the best way to get married is in a rosy haze of temporary insanity caused by your overwhelming feelings? No, of course not. Not an ideal way to get married. One, one, goes, one goes into it thoughtfully, one goes into it purposefully. And, um, and then uh, lastly, I, I have to remind you that uh, feelings follow actions much more than actions follow feelings. We like to think of ourselves as rational human beings that act in accordance with our heads. Well, that's not true for most of us most of the time. It would be great if we acted in accordance with our No, feelings very often flow out of actions. And, uh, you know, you've heard the phrase, uh, you know, somebody whistling past the graveyard. Somebody's frightened to walk past the graveyard at night because a ghost So. Just put a bounce in your step and whistle a happy song, and it's going to make you feel better. Well, if you uh, uh, if you are not feeling towards her the way you used to and the way you wish you should, but logically, she's still the same person. Your family, your friends, all think she's fantastic. Uh, so start behaving towards her the way you used to behave. You remember? Remember how you used to bring her flowers? Uh, you remember how uh, you used to thank her for being with you? When last did you thank her? When last did you ever say to her in a heartfelt way, you add so much to my life, I'm so grateful to you for being part of my life. Because when you start saying these things, you start feeling them. And feeling them is an incredible blessing. It's really quite wonderful. So, uh, my friends, I know full well how bad things are out there. I really do. Uh, I, I know that... Uh, that America is today governed by an unelected class of bureaucrats, people in government agencies that regulate frighteningly detailed aspects of our lives. I think that's incredibly bothersome. I think that government has become arrogant, and I think this has spread all the way down. All, frankly, look, and I know there's lots of wonderful law enforcement, many of them are friends, but uh, it has spread into the police. There is an arrogance in the police, there's an arrogance in the post office, Heaven knows there's an arrogance in the TSA. There's an arrogance in the IRS. Uh, it's spread all the way down from the White House, an incredible arrogance towards citizens. And, and that's disturbing. And the, uh, the fiscal irresponsibility, uh, the, the extent to which the Supreme Court has abrogated uh, roles that should have belonged to the legislature, cowardice on the part of the legislature, the idea that the legislature still passed laws for which they themselves are immune, that they don't have to live under those laws. I could carry on just as long as you can 
with all the things that are wrong, all the massive problems in this country. And, um, and sometimes we do shows about uh, what and how we can begin to try and turn things around because that's a desire each and every one of you feels as passionately as I do. But at the same time, what this show is about is not letting those very serious and very real concerns so overwhelm your life that you neglect the inner circles of that target. You neglect those concentric circles having to do with your own development, your own self-improvement, your family, your marriage, your finances, all of those things, your friendships, your faith circle, all of those things do need your attention. And, uh, and then with energies beyond that, those are the energies that can go towards helping to solve the geopolitical situation or the uh, national debt or anything else that you feel is an area in which you can make a contribution. But the best contribution of all is to make sure you are a free and independent citizen. And you do that best by taking care of your own faith, your own friendships, your family, and yes, your own finances. And from there, you have a platform in which, from which you can exert leverage on society and on the world as a whole. I am your rabbi. My website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Got it? www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Head over there, visit the store, and take a look at the resources that are prepared for you. And um, if, you, uh, if you would, go ahead and uh, help me uh, publicize the existence of this podcast, particularly for people, obviously for people you feel could most effectively and most directly benefit from it. Till next week, folks, all that remains is for me to wish you a week of good health and prosperity. God bless. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin.